It's Friday night. What places are you heading to for post-work happy hour? Tell us. This podcast is making a best of the best list and needs recommendation for happy hour menus at restaurants in KC. Text us at 816-601-4777. That's 816-601-4777. Standard texting rates apply. UpToDate wants to know what you're talking about with family and friends. You can text UTD to 816-601-4777 to tell us. Again, 816-601-4777. This is UpToDate on KCUR 89.3. I'm Steve Kraske. This year's election cycle is ramping up, and many voters are unenthusiastic, to say the least, about the all-but-confirmed rematch between former President Donald Trump and President Joe Biden. But other options are still hard to come by, even in a year like this. In fact, in Kansas, efforts are, are underway to make it harder for independent candidates to make the ballot and get that squared away. So why is this? To answer, we've called on local political science professors. They are Dr. Amber Dickinson, an associate professor at Washburn University. Amber, good to have you again. Welcome. Thank you so much. And Dr. Matt Harris is also with us. He's an associate professor over at Park University. Matt, good to have you. Good morning. Good to be here. Well, Amber, there seems to be, at least more prominently than in other election years, a pretty stout level of dissatisfaction with the presumed Democratic and Republican nominees for president. What's driving that? Well, we have two candidates who are aging, and we have two candidates that seem to be just sort of the same kind of candidate we've seen all along for our presidential elections. We tend to see older white males. And we have, with these two particular candidates, a lot of back history that not everyone is particularly pleased with, and they tend to be pretty polarizing forces for their opposition parties. Hmm. Well, Matt, there seems to be um, uh, a lot of press that much of this voter dissatisfaction is coming from young people. I see it in my own students at UMKC. Why do you think that is? Yeah, you know, that's something that I see from my students. I talk to them about it all the time. And I I think part of what they talk about is... uh, these are two older candidates. And so, you know, when you think about their lived experience and, you know, uh, two guys who just as an example went to college when it was just, you know, I'm exaggerating, but like $8 a credit hour. And, you know, you have students today and, and what they're dealing with. It's just, it, I think there's a disconnect there between the lives of people who grew up in the 50s and uh, kids who are growing up in, in 2024. And I don't get any sense that this is going to change between now and November. No, I, I mean, I, I think that, that uh, you know, one of the things we talk about third party independent candidates, though, is ultimately one of these two people is going to be the next president in all likelihood. And so, you know, that will be something that I think for young people, um, if they do turn, choose to turn out to vote, um, ultimately, one of those two, two people is going to be president. And that will probably push people away from some of these other options. Hmm. Well, Amber, historically, you know, Matt just mentioned third parties. Third parties haven't been able to really gain any momentum in U.S politics. What do you see as a leading factor as to why that is? I think there are several components that come together to make it really difficult for third party candidates to have much of a chance when they're going through the election process. And number one is that 
Historically, we're a nation that is used to a two-party system. It's just something we've done for over 400 years. And what we know about American politics is that once we have something institutionalized, it's very difficult to change that standard or norm. Another problem that independent or third-party candidates face is there are actual barriers that are in the form of statute in some states. Um, so for example, needing a certain amount of signatures to get on the ballot that tends to be disproportionately higher than the two major party candidates. In the a case of presidential elections, you have barriers to the presidential matching funds. There are barriers to even participating in some of the formalized debates. So you also have a problem with fundraising that's attached to third party candidates. People don't necessarily want to put their resources into a candidate that may not have as much of a chance as one of the two major party candidates. So then you also have third party candidates at a disadvantage because they don't have similar resources to the two major party candidates. So what you're saying is there are all manner of structural barriers uh, facing third party candidates who might be thinking about running for president. That's exactly right. Yeah. And Matt, you say the lack of viability for third parties is because of the way our elections are structured. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So ultimately, uh, when we look at, you know, the way most elections are structured and, and presidential elections, it's a one shot deal. Right. There's there's not a, there's not a runoff. We don't in most states have something like ranked choice voting. And so voters ultimately, yes, these are, you know, voters say they would prefer a different matchup. But ultimately, uh, you know, because they are polarizing candidates, people are left with a choice where, you know, I, you know, maybe I don't like Biden, but I really don't like Trump or vice versa. And so it, it, there's a feeling uh, that, you know, it, it's going to be one of these two people. And so to prevent the other one from winning, I should vote for one of the two major party candidates. So just that one shot deal element of uh, of American elections in most cases makes it so that people feel like they have to choose between one of the two major parties. And when voters feel that way, that's not much of an incentive to go and actually vote, is it? Yeah, I mean, it, it can be, it, but but it's a, it's a it's a it's a decision driven by uh, negativity, driven by you know the lesser of two evils. It's not a decision that's driven by enthusiasm necessarily. And I think we're seeing that in some of the polling that we're yeah. seeing about how the public are feeling about this choice. Well, Amber, you I were think definitely. Yeah, Amber, go this, ahead. Yeah. This cycle, people are going to turn out to vote against someone as opposed to turning out to vote for someone that they prefer. And I think that really does some damage to your voters when they're motivated in that negative way. And you think turnout as a result, Amber, might be a little lower than than usual? I don't necessarily think that we are going to see lower turnout. In particular, you have some really dedicated former President Trump supporters who um, are a previously untapped voting population. They were pretty quiet voters for a long time, and now they seem to be among some of the most motivated. And I think that not only will that invigorate some of the Republican Party, I think Democrats will also be equally motivated because of this really solid former President Trump base. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, Amber, about some of these structural barriers that you were talking about a couple of minutes ago. And one that comes to mind in any conversation about politics is good old fashioned money. Tell me more about that. How does that play a big role in the viability of third party candidates? 
So when we're talking about elections, it's a really a pay to play game at this point. The idea that whoever has the most money is going to have a better chance of winning, you know, there's a lot to that argument. So when you have a third party candidate who is sort of scrambling for dollars and doesn't have the name power that the two major party candidates have, they don't have the party support, which parties have a different role in elections in the modern election era. They're, they're more of for fundraising purposes. And third party candidates typically don't have those money mechanisms already in place. And then you would have the additional problem of voters being concerned that they're going to put their resources into someone who just doesn't have a chance of making it all the way to the finish line. So bottom line is, if you're a Democrat or Republican, you've got more money to tap into here. Typically, we have not only as individuals more money to tap into, because that varies depending on who we're talking about, right? But when we look at things like political action committees, special interest groups, lobbyists, they're going to be more inclined to continue to give money to the people who have potential for more power once they reach office. Interesting. And Amber, you've said that in the case of this election, fear and negativity might also be discouraging some from trying to emerge as a potential third option. Tell me more about your perspective on that. We see intense negativity in modern campaigns. Negativity is nothing new in elections. It's been happening since day one. But what we see is with things like social media, with televised campaign advertisements, that negativity feels more palpable to us. And I think the cultivation of that negativity is going to scare people away from putting their name on the ballot, especially third party candidates who don't have this built in credibility because they don't have a D or an R attached to their name. You know, it's not lost on me, Matt, that Joe Manchin, uh, the senator from West Virginia, was uh, toying with the idea of running as a third party candidate. He made a lot of Democrats nervous, but he just backed away from it just to the points we're talking about here today. Yeah. And I think a, a case like Manchin, um, somebody coming out of West Virginia state politics, um, it really makes me think about how, you know, being an independent uh, or being a third party candidate, I think it can work in some levels uh, when we talk about more local elections or state elections. You look at somebody like Angus King in Maine, but that's somebody who's cultivated a brand, a reputation. People know him. It's a kind of a small state. You can do that on sort of a more local level. He's an independent, is your point. Right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. So, but but when we talk about nationally, when you talk about running for president, um, there are you know, structural barriers and, and running for president as an independent, there's 50 states with 50 different sets of rules and signatures you have to gather and deadlines. Um, so even aside from, you know, the, the attitudes of, of, of voters about such a thing, it's really a Herculean task that means that for somebody to get in, they really have to have ability to raise funds, a committed network of supporters or their own money to spend independently. We'll be right back. Hollywood writers are obsessed with the concept of an asteroid heading towards Earth and destroying civilization. But is this something we really should be worried about? I'm Kate the Chemist, and on my podcast, Seeking a Scientist, we meet the mastermind behind a real-life mission to divert the path of an asteroid. Subscribe to Seeking a Scientist, made possible by the Starris Institute. You know, we've mentioned this notion this morning, Matt, of this idea of ranked choice voting, which supporters of that idea, and there's some in Missouri, say that it would give uh, more of a voice to moderate candidates. But a lot of people say the system's too complicated for most voters. Explain, if you would, how does that system work? Yeah, so ranked choice voting is essentially you rank your candidates um, and then 
uh, it's sort of an instant runoff system where if uh, the person who's at the bottom, when they tally up the first choice votes, they're eliminated and then they go to those voters, they take their second choice and apply those and basically go through those rounds of voting until you get somebody who has uh, uh, a majority of, of the votes. And so what it can do is make people feel like, Okay, I, I, I feel more comfortable voting for this third party, voting for this independent candidate, because if they don't have the support, well, then my second choice can be that major party candidate who I like more than the other major party candidate, but who I'm not necessarily a, a big proponent of. So it, it can maybe eliminate some of that fear. And we've seen that system in places like Maine and places like Alaska. But if that system threatens the two major parties, you have to, uh, it's no wonder why there's some reticence to adopt this form of voting in so many states. Yeah. And I think a lot of what you see regarding independent or third party candidates is efforts by the major parties to sort of uh, maintain their their dominance. So what's going on in Kansas where they're trying to raise the number of signatures that an independent candidate needs? It's not necessarily because an independent candidate is going to win a race for like Kansas governor, but those independent candidates like Greg Orman, they have won, I think he got six, seven percent of the vote. That can be enough to take away from a major party. So I think a lot of these moves that we've seen uh, are attempts by the major parties to try to um, to keep their dominance and, and keep those spoilers off the ballot. And to that point, Republicans in Kansas are saying Greg Orman and Dennis Pyle in the most recent gubernatorial election, Dennis Pyle resulted in Laura Kelly winning re-election when they thought their Republican candidate, Derek Schmidt, was going to walk away with it. Yeah. And it's always hard to say with those things. And Pyle didn't get, I think he got like one or 2% or something like that. But yeah, the idea that these third party candidates can, in close races, maybe pull votes away from a major party is something that, you know, I, I think Kansas Republicans look at it and say, like, we had a chance in, in these two races. And um, to a certain extent, uh, independent candidates uh, hurt us. But your point is that if we adopted a ranked choice system nationally, it would give a leg up to third party candidates. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it would certainly, I think, take away the fear that people sometimes have of of that you're throwing your vote away, which is something you often hear when we talk about third party independent candidates. Amber, there was an initial petition to get ranked choice voting on the ballot in Missouri in 2022, but it failed. And both the Kansas and Missouri state houses have tried to outlaw it now in recent years. What do you make of those efforts? Again, I think it's just this idea that you've got the two major parties understanding that their power is threatened. When you look at voter affiliation in the state of Kansas at last count, which was in January of this year, you have 561,000 individuals claiming to be unaffiliated with their party, which is actually more people than are registered Democrats in the state. And it's a significant number. And so there's absolutely a chance that if you are giving people more choices, then they may have the opportunity to vote in a way that the two major parties don't like. And so they have major incentive from the party perspective to try to prevent third party candidates from having a chance, which is why, for example, they've introduced this bill that would change the needed signatures from 5,000, if you're an independent candidate, to get on the ballot to 25,000, which is a, an extreme number. And there hasn't been a lot of justification for that number in particular. That is a huge jump. And it makes you wonder how possible it would ever be to, to mount an independent candidacy in a state with that kind of requirement. That's right. And according to Representative Mason, the justification for this is they want to make sure that serious, credible candidates get on the ballot. But my question is, how does telling one party that they have to have this huge number of signatures 
but not telling the other parties they need an equivalent number of signatures. It, this doesn't seem very fair to me. And my argument is also that just because you have a D or an R attached to your name does not automatically indicate that you're a serious, credible candidate. So there's an equity issue with this bill. It also strikes me, Amber, is, is pretty a pretty strong statement for politicians in both states to actually try to pass laws to outlaw ranked choice voting. I mean, that's that's really something, isn't it? It's really taking choice away from the people. People should be really upset about this because when we're talking about third parties, we have to stop using this word spoiler because I think this is one of those words that's becoming really politically charged um, because it's not a spoiler. It's giving people more options to make a vote choice that may closely align with their personal wants and needs. So as we sit here today and talk about this, Matt, I mean, it seems like we're laying uh, down a pretty clear case here for why third party candidates it's not going to happen anytime soon, at least on any sort of viable sort of uh, level. No, but I would offer one note of hope, which is that if a third party candidate does sometimes show some strength or show that they have uh, support, sometimes you can see major party players try to co-opt some of those ideas in a way of saying, well, if I can sort of bring some of these voters into my camp, uh, that could be beneficial to me electorally. So um, it's not that third party or independent candidates don't have influence. It's just that it's really hard for them to win elections because of the way the system is structured. I'm also struck by the idea over the years that just watching this unfold, that the idea of a third party candidate seems really appealing. But then when you stick an actual name next to that idea, the idea fizzles a little bit. I mean, you think of the idea of, hey, a third party presidential candidate, maybe Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York City, might be a third party candidate. But that name you know, will not excite a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you see this a lot in other cases too, where it'll be like, well, the generic Republican is doing really well, but okay, but you have to actually attach a name to that. And so people may say they want a third party candidate or a third option, but those people who say that are also going to be divided into many different camps. They may be far left. They may be far right. They may be centrist. And so finding a candidate who actually would appeal to that, you know, that wide range of people who say they want a third option, uh, maybe more of a of a of a difficult challenge when you, like you said, when you attach an actual name to the idea of a of a third option. Amber, can you imagine? Is there any name out there that you think would excite a, a significant a chunk of the electorate this year? You know, I think at this point, people are so entrenched in this idea that the candidates are who the candidates are, that it would take a pretty big name because we typically see third parties forming either a round of charismatic individual or because of dissatisfaction with the two major parties. And if it hasn't happened at this point in this particular presidential election cycle, I'm concerned that it's more than likely not going to happen. Well, I think that's really a great point and a great point to end on. That's the voice of Dr. Amber Dickinson. She's an associate professor at Washburn University. We are also joined by Dr. Matt Harris, an associate professor over at Park University. Thank you both for a good conversation. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Up to Date is a production of KCUR 89.3. The program is produced by Zach Wilson, Elizabeth Ruiz, Claudia Brancart, and Hallie Jackson. Our interns are Lauren Texter and Gabby Martinez. Paul Nakatura works our board. The theme music was composed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening.
You listen to this podcast every day because it's your KC local reliable news source. You take us seriously. But you know, we like to get down and we want you to party with us. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host, Ari Shapiro, is the featured guest at this party, and it's going to be bumping. You got to be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org slash radioactive.